I'm Hillary. I'm Emily. And we're the Sirens. Today we're discussing The Bigamist, in which a married couple, Harry and Eve Graham, begin the process of trying to adopt a child. The head of the adoption agency, Mr. Jordan, senses that Harry is keeping a secret and investigates his background. Mr. Jordan soon discovers that Harry, a traveling salesman, spends a great deal of time in Los Angeles, ostensibly for work. Mr. Jordan tracks Harry down in L.A. at a second home where Harry has another wife, Phyllis, and a baby. Via flashbacks, Harry tells the adoption agent how he ended up in two marriages. Dread, ambivalence, and a court case ensue. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and a bus ride (laughs) and a bus ride the bus ride was the best part (laughs) and also i've seen this categorized as a noir and it it definitely had those vibes but it wasn't murdery like a a lot of other noirs are and fairly innocent too in terms of sexuality i mean what did you think yeah i mean i i i honestly I had some questions about like how this like was produced in its time, but like watching it now, I was like, okay, well <laughs> not like spoiler <laughs> alert at the end. They're like, he did the right thing and married them. Um, <laughs> women. It's not like if he had a mistress, if one of them was a mistress, people would be perfectly fine with it, which I had some questions about, but um, overall I was like, yeah, this is pretty tame. I was like, would they in our puritanical society? <laughs> be- <laughs> be okay with that i have some trivia it's not a lot uh-huh. one of the reasons we picked this is because we wanted to do an ida lupino movie mm-hmm. and she both directed and was one of the stars in this and it's a, it's believed to be the first sound film directed by its female star mm. and this is also the only time ida lupino ever directed herself oh which i thought was interesting i wondered about that uh, it made me really excited when she came up in the billing as the director. And I was thinking, I think this is the first movie we've done with a female director. Is that right? I, I think so. I mean, it must be because it is our first Ida Lupino movie. <laughs> yeah. So that that was exciting to me. Still not super common. <laughs> female directors. So Wasn't the first female oscar winner for a director i mean it was like within the last decade or so yeah it was the hurt locker for best picture yeah so yeah we haven't come that far at the time of filming writer producer collier young was married to joan fontaine and had previously been married to ida lupino so it was actually a little bit of a wink at the audience that they were both you know, the, in the movie, they were supposed to be married to the same man. And in real life, they had both been married to the same man, although not at the same time. <laughs> These last two are just kind of fun things. During the Beverly Hills bus tour, the um, the driver says that two houses belong to Jack Benny and Jimmy Stewart, and those are their actual homes. I wondered um, about that. I I did too. When they were showing them, I was like, they're making a real point of actually showing these houses. Yeah. <laughs> so I thought that was cool. And then uh, you might have noticed that the film contains a couple of jokes about Santa Claus. Oh, uh-huh. and 
this is because they were trying to poke fun at Edmund Gwen, who played Santa Claus in Miracle on 34th Street. That's all I have. But I think you bioed Ida Lupino, right? So I want to hear about that. I was looking up when Hurt Locker won, and it was in 2008, which was um, more than 10 years ago. It turns out. It's still still not that long ago. No. <laughs> Um, yeah, so Ida Lupino. So she was a British actress, director, writer, and producer. She had a 48-year career. She appeared in 59 films, directed eight. While she was British, she became a United States citizen in 1948. She's widely regarded as the most prominent female filmmaker working in the 50s. With her independent production company, she co-wrote and co-produced several social justice films and became... Uh, the first woman to direct a film noir, The Hitchhiker, in 1953. So she was born in London to into an acting family. Um, and her great-grandfather, George Hook, changed his name to Lupino. His father was a top name in musical comedy in the UK. And he encouraged her to perform at an early age. Both Ida and her sister Rita eventually became actresses um, and dancers and uh, Ida wrote her first play at age seven and actually toured with a traveling company um, as a as a child and then after this like very intense childhood training for stage plays her uncle Lupino Lane assisted her in moving towards film acting by getting her work as a background actress at British International Studios. She really wanted to be a writer growing up, but her father really wanted her to be an actress. So she enrolled in Royal the Royal Academy of Dramatic Art. She made her first film appearance in The Love Race in 1931. Um, and, the fo- and in the following year, at, eight, at 14, she worked under the director Alan Dwan in, her, in the movie Her First Affair, which is actually a role that her mother had previously tested for. Which is kind of fascinating. Mm-hmm. She was in five movies in 1933 in the UK, and then she was discovered by Paramount. And when she arrived in Hollywood, Paramount produ- producers didn't really like know what to do with her, but gave her a five-year contract. Um, and she, you know, started in over a dozen films in the mid-1930s. Her parts improved during the 1940s, and she apparently jokingly referred to herself as the poor man's Betty Davis because she often mm-hmm. took the roles that Betty Davis refused. She she did eventually like become um, you know, in demand uh, more or less throughout the 1940s, but she never really like rose to the level of a major star like Humphrey Bogart and Ingrid Bergman, um, but she did get a lot of like critical praise. She also often incurred the ire of um, studio boss Jack Warner when she was at Warner Brothers. She frequently objected to her casting, refusing poorly written roles that she felt were beneath her dignity, and she made a ton of script revisions that, that the studio didn't like. Um, she's because of all of this she spent a great deal of her time at Warner Brothers suspended but during those suspensions she like used that time to observe the filming and editing processes and became interested in directing she and her then husband Collier Young oh he just mentioned formed an independent film company called the filmmakers to specifically to produce direct and write low-budget issue-oriented films it was formed in 1948 in 1949, um, she had her first directing job when director Elmer Clifton 
suffered a mild heart attack and was unable to finish the movie Not Wanted, which was about um, out of wedlock pregnancy. It was a controversial topic, but Eleanor Roosevelt loved it. And she was invited to discuss the movie with Eleanor Roosevelt on a radio program. In 1949, she worked on um, a film called Never Fear, which is a movie about polio, which she herself had experienced when she was 16. And that was her first director's credit. The previous movie, because she was just taking it over, she didn't um, take a directorial credit just to respect the the first director. She um, directed her first hard-paced all-male cast film, The Hitchhiker, and then that was the the movie that made her the first woman to direct a film noir. She really liked directing. She called herself a bulldozer to secure financing for the filmmaker's production company. But she always really referred to herself as a mother on set. And on the back of her director's chair was um, the label mother of us all. She really emphasized her femininity and um, you know wanted to like like hold on to like a, a real traditional female image. The filmmaker's mission, I think I mentioned earlier, was to make socially conscious films, encourage new talent, and bring realism to the screen. Their goal was to tell, quote, how America lives through independent B pictures shot in two weeks for less than $200,000 with, like, the same people uh, every time. An interesting way to do it is the filmmaker's ceased operations in 1955 and Lupino turned almost immediately to television. She directed more than 30 episodes from um, 1956 to 1968. And then she also helmed a feature film in 1965 called The Trouble with Angels starring Haley Mills and Rosalind Russell, which is like totally on my to be watched list. I love that movie. Yeah, We should should do that movie. Yeah, it's a little bit late for us because it's 1965, but like if we can find it, I would totally watch it um and it was her last theatrical film as a director and i was like oh my gosh we have to find it i didn't know that that was her movie and that's a very female movie mm-hmm. <laughs> i mean obviously nuns but <laughs> a great way to pass the bechdel test be about <laughs> nuns so she continued acting during this period with a very successful television career throughout the 1960s and 70s She wrote um, short stories and children's books, composed music, very creative person. And she eventually died from a stroke while undergoing treatment for colon cancer in 1995 at age 77. Wow. She had a longer life than I think I expected. Yeah. Been very like productive. Yes. I mean, she wrote, she directed, she acted. The the triple threat. That's right. Dance. <laughs> yeah, and dance. Composed so, music. I think I was mentioning to you, Hell, before that I, I was listening to some old seasons of um, another great podcast, You Must Remember This. Mm-hmm. And I listened to some episodes about her and she had a relationship with Howard Hughes. Oh, yeah. And, and he was said to sort of like influence some of the ways she went on to like have more of a leadership role in Uh, films and also I because she was doing like acting from such a young age I remember them mentioning that she lied about her age to get roles that she was sort of too young for yeah I could see that yeah (laughs) I think she's very interesting and I don't know that I have seen her in a lot of other things 
Mm-hmm. I don't think I've seen her in anything, and watching this movie made me want to watch a lot more of what she's what she's done, directed and and starred in. Yeah, I was curious. I mean, let's so let's get into it with the movie, like because I, I think uh, when I was looking at this film, because it's the first one we've watched with a female director. Mm-hmm. I was watching through a lens of like, what is the perspective of this movie or what's Mm -hmm. different about this movie? Mm -hmm. And I did think there were some interesting choices that I don't know. I don't know. Maybe I'm like ascribing things that aren't true, but (laughs) I thought it was interesting. Like the opening scene with the cleaning lady, Mm -hmm. like that they would choose to focus on that the landlady like coming in to clean as sort of like the entry also just the the tone of this whole movie was kind of like instead of a more traditional film noir where like everyone's a terrible person Mm -hmm. the tone seemed to be like no one was actually that bad at this movie (laughs) and even like the two women like in the court scene at the end they're they kind of like exchange a look and it's sort of one of like pity where they're like yeah. sort of like neither of us knew this was happening and yeah we both love this man who cheated on us yeah and there was like mutual understanding in that and i also thought it was an interesting choice to follow mr jordan so much mm-hmm. like he became like at this central like plot device of the movie that they were following him around while he was investigating i guess i mean if this was a more fi- typical film noir it would be like there's some detective <laughs> looking into it but yeah. instead you have this like adoption agency guy who talks quite seriously about like how important it is to ensure the welfare of the children and like seems to really care like it was just a very different take on this genre well and he there's like some like dark reference to like some time in the past where he like wasn't as thorough and like something bad happened and i I was sort of like when are we gonna find out what that terrible thing was and we never do yeah i i i appreciate the point you're making that it's sort of like instead of a cop it's an adoption agency (laughs) (laughs) well what did you think of it overall i i think i struggled with understanding the point of the movie like the, the point of view of the movie about the women in particular because like eve is this um this woman who wants to have a baby can't have a baby doesn't want to adopt initially and so throws herself into helping to run the company and does a really good job running the company and the point of view of the movie seems to be partially like a woman can't be both a career career minded and family minded and like the only reason she's interested in like the business is because she, she can't like fulfill this other like maternal role she wants to have and I also couldn't tell throughout the movie if she like has sort of a sense of what's going on she seems to and she like because he tells her at some point, like, hey, I met this little mouse. And he she, like, refers to him, or to, to the little mouse, this other woman, periodically. Almost as sort of a, like, consciously or unconsciously, like, trying to, like, suss out what's going on, it seemed to me. And I felt, in some ways, I felt like the movie was maybe a little bit too um, forgiving for Harry. He's a, he's a good guy. You know, he just, like, his, he's lonely because his wife is working. And so that's, like... <laughs> 
why he has to like go get on a bus and whatever you know he can't be faulted for like falling in love with another woman and but like even though there are moments where I was like um I don't know if this is a a message that I like necessarily agree with I still like really appreciated the the care with the that was like clearly evident with like the some of the camera angles and editing and like just sort of like overall the movie making of it if that makes sense so yeah so I like and it also was like short so yeah that's true I I mean it sounds silly but I actually really appreciated that this movie was was it 120 minutes or under that no it was like it was like 70 minutes movies have gotten so long now Mm-hmm. I really enjoyed watching one that was just tightly written and quick and that you know that mm-hmm. <laughs> I just saw an article about how like movies are increasingly going like three hours yeah and they're like nobody has, wants to do that no unless there's an like an actual uh panel comes up that says like intermission in the middle of it and you get like 15 minutes to stretch your legs and get a snack that i don't want to do it yeah i agree with you though that i made a lot of notes about eve and how he seemed to be blaming her and like yeah their relationship seemed to become more about the business. Mm-hmm. And I mean, he said at some point that he needs to feel needed and she mm-hmm. didn't need him. Yeah. I mean, I'm like, get a puppy. Like, yeah. <laughs> there was just like a general bad communication on both sides. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. basically, he, so it did seem like he was, he made some not very forceful attempts to like talk about the fact that he was feeling disconnected from her in the marriage and she kind of like blew it off and then he just stopped trying. Yeah. And at one point he says like, I've only, we've only been together for six days out of the month, which I was like, you know, that is like pretty bad <laughs> on a marriage. But um, he also doesn't communicate with Phyllis well. And like they, the way the movie presents it, it's, it's as if he tried to tell both of them the truth and they both were just like, no. Yeah. Not interested. <laughs> yeah. I felt like it removed some of the culpability from him because they tried to make it like Mm -hmm. oh they didn't want to hear it yeah yeah I agree I I agree it's like he doesn't like he can't possibly be held responsible for his behavior yeah I mean I did appreciate that this film kind of dwelled in a place of like moral ambiguity and Mm -hmm. like at the there wasn't even um a strong conclusion at the end of like what was going to happen or if if either of the women was going to forgive him because you do see in them I mean I don't like Harry is not I think Harry's supposed to be a more sympathetic character than how I perceived him (laughs) but like you can tell at point even I felt in points in the movie that he was really struggling with like what was the right thing to do and he was trying to do the right thing by Phyllis and the baby mm-hmm. and I did in some ways like I thought the argument that the lawyer made was a good point that he could very easily have just slept with Phyllis like she gets pregnant he has nothing more to do with her mm-hmm. or like kept her on the side but he, like it actually he put himself at considerable risk by marrying her mm-hmm. but I did wonder like 
how did they obtain this marriage? Like, you oh, need to I mean, present I so some many documents. <laughs> yeah, I had so many questions. Because he also, he says, he says at some point that, that it's only been going on for eight months. And I was like, but you got married and that baby, and like, even if he is like born early, like that is a large baby. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> like, true. And they like bought a house. Yeah. And they have a house and like, ha- like, and also like, how does Eve not notice like this money? that is not there i wondered that i had questions about their financial situation too like harry and eve because they kind of acted like oh they need to keep working really hard or the you know then the money's not coming in but they seem like they had a really nice apartment Apartment, yeah they were well dressed and he apparently had enough money to like literally get a house on the side without it being noticed without it being i mean yeah part of me was like is this rich people problems that these they're complaining about like they don't have enough money when really they like I mean they didn't they say at some point that he that they make like twenty thousand dollars a year which like I'm gonna look up what that is in 2023 but then when Eve had to fly back to to be with her father he was like do you need money and she was like no I cashed a check against the business and I was like so that made it seem like they didn't have good cash flow so I was just confused about that whole situation although like he also said like oh I'll take you to dinner and we're like flush enough so that I can put it on the expense expense account which like I don't know that feels like maybe it is (laughs) Some rich people problems happening. Yeah, that that is true. I mean, did you think it was the perspective of the movie that he was actually in love with Phyllis and like chose her more or less? I don't know. I mean, it seemed to me like the perspective of the movie was that he was ambivalent and like he would go back to like tell Eve. I mean, because he also like agrees to like adopt a child with Eve and he like can't tell her the truth because her her father dies and then her mother is really sick and so he's like he can't bring himself to like bring her any more pain and I think we're supposed to sympathize with that but I'm like you know I don't know why'd you get involved with this other woman in the first place by the way $20,000 in 1953 is $230,000 today so they're doing just fine (laughs) (laughs) that's what we take away from this I mean, also, they're in San Francisco, so, like, that's not a, a lot of money in San Francisco, but, like, it's plenty. And, yeah, in that time, it probably would have gone farther, like, that it's so expensive there now. But yeah, it just seemed to me that, like, the movie did not show us enough of even Harry's relationship. Yeah. But it showed more of it, like, it really made it seem like Harry and Phyllis were these two lonely people mm-hmm. who like saw each other yeah. in a real way and like connected. Did you notice how it seemed like he he seemed attracted to the way that she was mean to him in mm-hmm. the beginning? Yeah, yes, I did notice that. I, I also, I know that some people have like some... Like, say that the idea of, like, resilience is, like, controversial, but I I was sort of, like, questioning both Harry and Phyllis's, like, resilience because, like, basically they each have, apparently, like, one sour relationship and they're just, like, turn like, Phyllis in particular is, like, I'm never falling in love again. Like, I've 
I got a dear John letter and like turned off for all men everywhere. And it's just like, have some perspective. <laughs> yeah. And how much time has passed since that happened too. Mm-hmm. I thought it was interesting how they met on that bus because mm-hmm. they both, like neither of them was really interested in mm-hmm. <laughs> taking the tour, but they were just both so lonely that they get on this crowded bus mm-hmm. And like they were surrounded by people, but they were still very alone. I mean, it kind of, it felt relatable to contemporary times and that just like people aren't connecting well. And if you find someone who actually notices you in a real way, that can feel very significant. Like I wondered if if they were at different places in their lives, like would they have even noticed that other person on the bus? Yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, did you? If Eve didn't like uh, get so wrapped up in the business, Harry (laughs) taking the bus ride and been like, "Oh yes, I'm very interested in Jimmy Stewart's house." (laughs) I meanwhile, I was like craning my neck, like, "Show me more of Jimmy Stewart's (laughs) house." Like, and where is Ingrid Bergman's house compared to? (laughs) (laughs) I really thought, like, between the two of them, I thought Eve was the more tragic figure. Yeah, because they had been married for eight years Mm -hmm. and, you know, probably in a relationship for longer than that. Yeah. You know, she had this significant loss and that she couldn't have kids Mm -hmm. is like that's almost like grieving. Mm -hmm. And it didn't seem like he was super sympathetic to that Mm -hmm. (laughs) in a lot of ways. And then she tries to like contribute in another way or like find fulfillment in another way. And he finds it to be a turnoff. Mm-hmm. And then uh, the fact that he has an affair with someone and, you know, ultimately marries her, but basically like has a baby after a one night stand. Mm-hmm. Like that has to be so painful. Yeah. For- for her well and the fact that like then her husband like is prosecuted i mean that basically you know, you know whether or not she gets a divorce like she's not gonna be able to adopt a baby his choices like cut her off from like any you know fulfilling that desire yeah i yeah and also it seemed like the trial was very public Mm -hmm. So that kind of dragged both of their names through the mud. I'm sure it would ruin the business too. Yeah. The deep freeze business. (laughs) Uh, That whole traveling salesman gig seemed very depressing. Yeah. None of those people have watched The Music Man. (laughs) Yeah. There was no singing. There was no dancing. There was no God (laughs) in the territory. There were no boys bands. (laughs) what did you think of the mr jordan character i mean i wish that there'd been a reveal of like whatever like terrible thing had happened in his past that made him like follow this guy because i was like i don't don't really i don't get why i mean i guess like on some level i get it like great you're doing your job thoroughly but like to mention like oh one time i did it i didn't i wasn't this thorough and something terrible happened like would like to know what that terrible thing is so that we have a better sense of you know that's true i thought it was maybe sort of like bambi's mom getting shot and that if something happens off screen and you don't really know what happened it's almost worse because you just picture the worst possible thing um my god (laughs) well i kind of i felt bad for this guy because like i mean it seems like you think he was just being extra thorough because of that i was like oh this guy's job makes him like travel 
travel around and interview all these random people and like call hotels like this one guy like isn't there more staff like couldn't you call the LA office <laughs> well what was that it's like reminds me of Mr. and Mrs. Smith where there's this guy like traveling across, across the country like telling people that their marriage are, marriages aren't valid it's like do you know <laughs> the telephone exists <laughs> The, the small town government worker. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was pretty hilarious. He was like, we moved the county line. Some of these movies are just indictments of like bureaucracy. Well, it's funny because this was like a much darker take, but there's there's another version of this like bigamous story that's more of a screwball comedy where it's mm-hmm. like, you know, I thought my wife was dead, so I married someone else, but then she came back and which wife will I choose? Ha ha ha. Like, Yes. Right. So this this was more like, well, you just ruined everybody's lives. The right. end. <laughs> I just made a note of like, I liked when Phyllis called him you big lug. Did you notice that line? Oh yeah, because it felt like very out of place to me. <laughs> I was like, you big this big lug is trying to divorce you. <laughs> like, what are you talking about? I know. Yeah, I mean it's the end of the movie. I felt the same as you that I was like, what is this movie trying to say? Yeah. yeah. Like what what is the takeaway here? Yeah. I mean, it seems to me like the that last shot where it's Joan Fontaine like leaning up against the door, like to me, at least it seems like the that the that it's trying to say that Eve is you know sort of the victim here like she's the Mm -hmm. one who has lost the most even though like Phyllis and and her son like also lose a lot but like she's lost her dream of and her business and her husband I've been living my own life making my own decisions for a long while now it's impossible to go back to being treated like a child again well that do you think we're ready to talk about Bechtel (laughs) on that note (laughs) on that sad note (laughs) on that sad note i don't know if there are any character women who speak to each other yeah i don't think so like period no (laughs) i mean i don't think they do in this movie i'm trying to i mean it's phyllis and eve only share the screen once and they don't talk to each other and the only other women with speaking roles are like the landlady and that secretary who was definitely being sexually harassed by her boss yes (laughs) who was like come in for a cocktail yeah come into my office please do not go in for a cocktail (laughs) so i think i mean i i think it just doesn't pass yeah, I think it doesn't pass. Which is kind of a shame because it has two fairly well-developed female characters. but Yeah, fairly well-developed female characters and has a, a woman who is directing it. I mean, it almost feels like it's on purpose. There's a, um, a lot of, like, a strong presence of women in this movie, but it's called The Bigamist. It's about the yeah. Well, it made me think... Like when you said that she made a point of being feminine and being like the mother on the set and all of that, that it it reminded me of other like women who've had like been groundbreaking leaders in other fields Mm -hmm. and how they often sort of like position themselves a certain way to like you know be like oh I'm still like a traditional woman or like I surround myself with men or I do this thing because I'm not really a threat. I'm like, just don't just ignore the fact that I'm, a, you know, like if she shows up as and as a mother, 
she's like, oh, I'm the mother. And then in this, like you had said, her first noir was The Hitchhiker, which we considered doing, but thought was too scary. (laughs) (laughs) And that's an all-male cast. So I just, it it just made me think about that. And not that I'm trying to compare her to like Margaret Thatcher or something, but yeah. Like how when you're sort of one of the first women who does something, people have to be strategic sometimes yeah. about how they present themselves. Yeah, I think that's right. Um, so anyway, it does not pass. All the same, does not pass. We all want to help one another. Human beings are like that. We want to live by each other's happiness, not by each other's misery. Well, so what about social justice? Because I think we'll have better luck there. Yeah. I mean, I think it's interesting that the filmmakers typically made movies that had like some kind of social issue bent to them. I think there's definitely some like a class things going on that aren't like explicitly said. I mean, I think my my inference is that Phyllis is much lower class than Harry. It's not really a big deal. But it's, um, you know, it, it's that's present and mm-hmm. and but and yet she doesn't let that like define her or like, you know, it's just sort of a matter of fact, like, yeah, I got to go work at this restaurant right now and then I'm going to go stay at the boarding house. Like, that's my life. Yeah, I agree with you. And I think that's a very good point that it wasn't explicit, but like there was definitely characterization it, it kind of made it seem like Phyllis was more feeling mm-hmm. yeah as like a lower class person and yeah. she was more she was more emotive and she seemed like more expressive and physical with harry yeah um than eve was and eve seemed primarily concerned with like the business and like entertaining and stuff like that yeah. um outside of the adoption so it yes i agree with you and i think the movie also pointed out how like both of the women were sort of even though they were somewhat independent like they were also dependent on harry for Mm -hmm. in basically like their stability like finance and you know in the case of phyllis and she had a baby and she seemed to have some health concerns and then like how would she support herself that that was a thing and like how would the baby get legitimacy with eve she was in the business but probably she wouldn't have been able to run that business without a man yeah at that time and then also she needed like as a single woman would she would have been allowed to adopt at that time another question so like basically they in order to have the lives you know just the basic lives that they wanted they needed him and he blew it all up he blew it all up (laughs) he i mean i don't like good or bad i think like i don't i think mostly he just didn't have a spine to like make a decision and then stick to it and carry it out and say like this is the right thing to do yeah i agree i mean numerous times like he sort of tried to cut it off with phyllis before anything happened yeah physically and then he also tried to go back and tell eve Mm -hmm. and he never actually followed through with anything although i mean i did sort of agree with him that like right when her father died was not the moment to tell her (laughs) but like you could wait a little bit and then tell her yeah or you could say to phyllis like i can't marry you 
but I will pay you $85 a week or, you know. Yeah. I was wondering if it was going to have some kind of weird twist at the end where, (laughs) like, Phyllis died and then they took the baby. Did you? Oh, yeah. I I 100% thought that that's where it was going. 100%. The other thing that I thought, because this was sort of a noir, was... Like when Mr. Jordan came to the house and then Harry was like, send the cab away. <laughs> and he was like, okay. I was like, he's going to murder him. Yeah, you're going to die. <laughs> and instead he was just like, I'm very invested in your story. Like, tell me all about it. And then, oh, I have a question, Hill. Who actually called the police on him? I think he Be- does. So he called them on I That's what I wondered. I think so, yeah. Because he so realized he that's the only thing like that he has to do that he has to turn himself in it's just so dumb though like that that made everything worse too like he should have just been like if he had gone to phyllis and been like our marriage isn't real i'm actually already married to someone or gone to eve and say like i can't do this anymore yeah but by turning himself in he like ruined everyone's lives (laughs) it's just (laughs) and yeah i just thought it was a dumb move and even mr jordan was like i'm not gonna do this yeah just like don't don't do it (laughs) well are we ready to rate do you want me to go first yeah you go first because i like i said sure but i am also sort of waffling (laughs) i'm gonna give it a three and a half Uh because i think it's a good movie like i i watched it by myself and immediately i was like i'm gonna tell other people to watch this movie (laughs) um it wasn't fun like it was filled just filled with dread most of the time yes yeah um but i liked the way it was shot i thought Mm -hmm. the acting was really good and it was interesting and it, it made me think about moral questions too like yeah, why is it considered worse to marry two people than it is to mm-hmm. toss someone off like they're trash? Why is that worse? <laughs> and I was like, all right, yeah, let's let me think about that. <laughs> but it's not the kind of movie that I would be like, you know what I'm in the mood to watch today? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so uh, that's what I would give it. <laughs> Three and a half. Yeah. What about I you? Gonna, I was similarly going to say say three and a half. Because I think it was the, it was shot nicely. It was had some in, raised some interesting questions, but I also had a lot of questions by the end of it, where I was like, I, I mean, some of these needed to be resolved. <laughs> yeah, it was so ambivalent that at the end you're kind of like, huh, <laughs> like <laughs> what's happening? Yeah. So hell, what's our next movie? <laughs> our next movie is The Stranger. May it please the court, I submit that my entire line of defense is based on the proposition that persons of the female sex should be dealt with before the law as the equals of persons of the male sex. Follow The Screen Sirens on Twitter at The Screen Sirens. Leave us a review on iTunes or SoundCloud to help other people find us. And become a patron at patreon.com slash The Screen Sirens. Thanks for listening. After all, tomorrow is another day. Thank you.